This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now we go to the bottom of the eighth inning. Daryl hits that just absolute bomb to put him up to. But here's my favorite part. I think this is my favorite part of the game. So Daryl hits the home run. Great. Mets are up by two, three outs away from a championship. You're feeling good. Ray Nye comes through with another base hit. He's just cinching up this MVP. I do have a few emails of people questioning Ray Nye as the MVP, which we'll get to. But Ray Nye comes through with the single. Remember, hit the game-winning home run in this an inning earlier. Uh, Dykstra grounds out. They intentionally walk Santana. And here's what they're doing. There's a runner on second with one out. So the thought is... They're going to let Jesse hit. They're not taking Jesse out of the game. I got to pinch hit for Jesse with what? With a Howard Johnson and then go to who? Rick Aguilera? Doug Sisk? Doc Gooden? Like, where are they going? So Jesse stays in the game with a runner on second and one out. And for those of you who have friends who didn't rewatch game seven of the 86 World Series, because they're a know-it-all, because they're an arrogant, oh, I don't, I don't need to rewatch this. I already know what happened. I want you to ask them this trivia question. I want you to say, hey, who drove in the final run for the New York Mets in game seven of the 86 World Series? And they may say, well, did Daryl hit a home run? Yes, we, we're aware that wasn't the final run. They'll say, well, Ray Knight probably did. He was the World Series MVP. Okay, you're just wasting our time because the answer is Jesse a freaking Roscoe? Jesse Orozco, who has a handful of RBIs in his major league career, one postseason hit in his major league career, hits a 1-1 chopper up the middle for an RBI single. Here comes Knight. He will score. The Mets are up three. And yes, as an old school man, it gives me pride to say, Relief pitcher, Jesse Orozco, RBI single. It's eight to five Mets. What up? That was awesome. Uh, my, my son was wa- watching that part of the game, and he was very excited to tell me uh, how that happened. It would, Dude, you think about that. That right there 
is where you feel like you won the game. You could say the strawberry home run, but when Orozco does that, I mean, that is, come on. that That's just like the icing on the cake. Oh, 100%. I, I wonder in watching this, Pete, in all seriousness, when's the moment I'd say, we got this? Like, I don't believe my dad's thought that. We always thought that because of the way game six transpired. I don't buy that. Like, you're down 3 nothing. Bruce Hurst is dominating. There's no way you're that confident we're going to come back like the night before. Even when you tie the game, okay, it's a 3-3 game in the seventh inning. You never know. Even when they take the three-run lead, the Red Sox immediately rallied. Like, immediately in that eighth inning, they get three straight hits. They get two runs back. So is it Orozco getting out of the eighth? Is it Daryl hitting the home run? Or is it what you said? The Jesse Orozco RBI single that gives them a three-run lead. I'm going to go Orozco. I don't think it's crazy. I don't (laughs) think it's crazy. And then we go to the ninth. And Jesse makes it relatively easy. Keith made a really good play for the first out. That foul pop-up. The ground out by Wade Boggs. And then the crowd is on its feet. Marty Barrett's coming to the plate. And remember what happened an inning earlier. An inning earlier, the New York Mets had the NYPD sit on horses and march around the warning track as as Vin Scully called it, a show of force because they <laughs> because they didn't want the fans jumping on the field like they did when they won the division. So this was top of the eighth inning. So the timing of it is really weird because it's right after the Mets took a three-run lead and right before the Red Sox rally, that rally we talked about. That's the moment when the horses are marched out onto the field. They're walking from like the Met bullpen through the warning track around the field for no reason other than to intimidate, which I'm not arguing. Like, I totally get why. And obviously, we haven't had an incident like this since. Yankees win the World Series in 96. The horses are there. In fact, Wade Boggs rode one. And I can understand why. Because... As he's sitting there at Chase Stadium watching these horses come out, he's like, you sons of bitches, you damn horses. <laughs> Who knew 10 years later he'd get to ride one of those horses? So Jesse strikes out, Marty. We are the world effing champions. And if anyone jumped on the field, it was not noticeable because of that show of force. And what a great moment. Shea is just like loud as all hell. The Mets are falling all over each other. And a tear did come to my eye thinking, when is it our turn? Like, this was fun. I really enjoyed watching game seven of the 86 World Series. But when do we get to do this? When do we get to all jump and go crazy? (sighs) So then I got a little melancholy, Pete. I got a little sad. I will say this, uh, because being at the last playoff games for um, at City Field, I didn't get the same feeling as I did watching this game. Because, like, when Sid Fernandez came out, Mets were down 3 nothing, And I felt the crowd. Like, I, I, I'm re-watching the game, and I'm not there, but I felt the crowd. I felt the presence. I felt the energy. I'm like, wow, this is like, things change, and you could feel that the crowd was in it. The games where the Mets lost at, at City Field, the crowd was like, blah. And, I, and I'm not trying to say, well, listen, you know, you're down. 
the crowd's of course not going to be into it, but like I, I felt like today's crowd is never going to be as engaged and locked in, and that's gonna that that hurts a little bit. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that when you are on the heels of the greatest World Series comeback we've ever seen, and you're a win away from a World Series, it's just so different than a wild card round. It just it's a different animal. Like I remember City Field being electric and having that sound during the 2015 run because it was so different. Like they came back, it's one one against the Dodgers. They're up two one against the Dodgers. They're opening up an NLCS against the Cubs. Uh, it's the World Series against Kansas City. Even down two zero, even down two one, even down three one. I always felt that that place had a movement and a soul. So matching the eighty six crowds always going to be maybe impossible. But in terms of the electricity and the loudness, I've seen it. And I don't think last year necessarily is going to be an indication of the way it always sounds. But hey, listen, man, that park was moving. There's no doubt. You could feel it through the TV. There was also weird things I was feeling through the TV, such as the music. And I'm not judging the music because it's 1986 and oldies music in 1986 is 1955. If you want to go back 30 years but whenever the Mets were making a pitching change, like when Sid came in, the music was so weird. Like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell was playing. Like, I'm listening to this thinking, what is happening right now? Um, it was I, thought just, I, heard, I thought I heard Sinatra a couple times. Okay, so I heard New York, New York before the top of the seventh, which really pumped up the crowd. Right. And I heard some normal music, like music I've heard before. But if you go back, and obviously you can, because we all watch this on a YouTube clip, go back to when the Red Sox were making their pitching changes in the seventh. And when the Mets made their pitching changes, Jesse came in in the eighth, Sid came in in the fourth. The music, it wasn't, it was, certainly wasn't walk up music. It certainly wasn't, no. they play this. It was weird, eerie, eerie music. And also watching a game when you're so used to what we're used to is also really weird. Not having the count on your screen at all times is weird. Not having the score and inning on your screen is weird. And I'd assume it's a little bit weirder for, for everyone else because I was scoring the game. Like I literally have my scorecard. I'm going to show it to Pete so he can uh, show the audience. And I'll, I'll tweet it out too, by the way, so you can all see it. This is my scorecard. It's real. It's there. I see it. Definitely real. <laughs> the only thing I let, I didn't fill in the standings because usually for the playoffs, I put like all the scores of the World Series games or playoff games. I didn't put that in, but I put the lineups in. Uh, there was a couple of other weird things. So when I, I guess it was when Rain Knight hit the home run in the seventh, Vin Scully says something that was so weird. He said, that's the first home run by a guy on the home team in this entire series that every home run that was hit through the first six games was hit by a road player. And when you think about it, he's right. Like, Oh yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. Gary Carter hit a home run at Fenway park. Lenny Dykstra hit a home run at Fenway park. Like that was the first and the Red Sox hit two home runs in the second inning, the back to back by Evans and Gedman. So rain Knight's home run and then Daryl strawberries home run in the eighth. The first time the entire series where the home team hit a home run. Very, very odd. There was a lot of odd things going on uh, in the series in general. Uh, but some other things I took from this broadcast, uh, you know, first of all, I love the uh, 
he didn't call it a run and a hit and run. Vince Kelly called it a run and hit, run and hit rather than a hit and run. I love the play the the when they wanted to do a, a highlight from previous game and they show like oh look at Daryl Dar- Strawberry they showed that but then they go back to Dwight Evans almost identical and it's a freeze frame picture. It's like they can't actually do a, a highlight, which I thought was was amazing. I I love the, I love that aspect of it. Like Mookie Wilson when they went to to him with the wild pitch the day be, a couple days before, they just showed like a freeze frame shot of his feet in the air and the ball going by him. Like in, to me, it's a small things like that are just like wow. We'll never you'll never if, if today's game flies by, they have highlights for everything. Like you have to look at the production staff. Like wow, it's amazing what we do today compared to what, what they did back then. Um, Another thing that really – I don't know if you noticed this, but if you go back when the Mets were up to bat, especially in I think the second or third inning is when I really started to notice it, there's a lady in a red shirt, and every time the Mets player was going to switch – whatever it is, whatever the pitch, she just starts like rolling her hands like she got like some oh, kind of so- – yes. Dude, yes. I was like locked in on her the whole entire so, freaking game. So she's a legend. Like that, that's a known thing by people that were around at that time. And the way I referred to her, cause she was around for a while, the lady with the hat, that's how yes. me and my dad and sister would talk about her, the lady with the hat. So Pete's right during the world series and this became more known. She would, uh, how do you describe the hand motion I'm doing right now? The, with the, the, it was the, like a hand over hand and like a quick motion type of thing. Yeah. Like a roll. So we saw her at Shea Stadium, even when I was a youngin. You know, when I'm starting to pay attention, 92, 93, 94, first row, behind the plate, always there. And I forget when they did this at Shea Stadium, but they added rows. They literally pushed back her seats and added more rows. And she got screwed. She was no longer the very, very first seat. And I think that was the end of her. And I'm not sure... I mean, I hope she's still around. I don't know. Um, she may not be. I feel bad. But yeah, growing up at Shea Stadium, I would always look down because I sat in the loge level. We would look down and that lady with the hat. And yeah, I think she became kind of famous, if you will, in the 86 World Series for doing that with the gyrations with her hand. But as a kid growing up, she was a staple of Shea Stadium. She was, she was the lady with the hat. I still can't get over the fact they put up a makeshift fence for more people to sit and it collapsed okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That- and then, what was the, oh, I think, I think it was the eighth inning. They looked like a stink bomb went off. The ninth inning, it was in between the last out. Yeah, what was that about? They just threw it out. Again, I I don't know if it was because they were pr- premature. Except, I mean, first of all, toilet paper's getting thrown around like it's, you yes. know, whatever. Like, like it's candy. And the stink bomb went off. They threw, It was sitting there, Mookie Wilson. It was before the final out because I remember like going like, this is how – I don't remember being so much red on the screen when Orozco <laughs> gets the last out. But it had drifted away. But, yeah, before the final out, there was someone threw it between Mookie Wilson and um, whoever was in left field at the time. But, yeah, that, that, was, that was fun. Listen, there was a lot of crazy things. Um, there was, by the way, I did go back just now while we are doing the podcast. I did check. 
Keith didn't get forced at second. There was a tag. Go check it out. I think that it needs but to be a But there didn't view. need to be a tag is my point because Gary Carter blooped it in a right field, so he's going to first base. Keith is forced at second base. But so they he never may have been, been tagged, but they didn't need to be a tag. But they didn't. But he's not out because there, there was no reason. There was no one. He wasn't out at second base. They needed to. They, there was no. They never made the throw to second base. They called the, the out on the ball. The the guy. The ball went to the second baseman. He wasn't on the bag. He reached out and touched Keith, and that's what they called the out on. But I don't think there was. Go go look it back. No, Honestly, same thing. Like, bottom yeah. line is that you can tag him to get him out, but you also could have tagged the base. I guess he tagged. Keith's argument, though, wasn't about that. Keith's argument no. was signal that he didn't catch it because he's holding up at first base. He's saying, what the hell's going on? I have no idea. That was his big issue. But this was this was a great game. Really was. This was a great baseball game when you think about it. 3 nothing, 3-3, 6-3, 6-5, 8-5. Uh, the drama of it, the passion of it. Uh, it was a tremendous baseball game. You're right about a few things. In this day and age, and I think that's only natural for us to compare it to a game of today, even Bruce Hurst. Bruce Hurst, Ron Darling, they are not pitching nearly as long as they pitched. Mm. And it's not like either guy went that deep in the game. Bruce pitched six innings. Ron Darling pitched three and two-thirds innings. But we're talking about a winner-take-all game seven. You are not nearly as patient. So I think in Darling's case, there's a chance he's out in the second. And I think in Hurst's case, he doesn't get through the sixth. He was allowed to finish the sixth inning. Uh, and that's when the Mets tied it. I don't think he's given that opportunity in this day and age. I don't think that happens. So I got one. Um, there was. Uh, let me read this email because it was kind of questioning Ray Knight as the MVP. It's from Noah. Evident Pete, love the podcast, huge Met fan, but only casual about basketball and football. So the Ricos really helped me get through the offseason. Okay. I would love to hear your thoughts on my question, which you may wish to save for the episode when discussing the rewatch. Well, here we are. How about that? Assuming game seven of the 86 World Series is the winner, it was, I would love to hear your thoughts on Ray Knight winning the series MVP. I was nine when I watched the series, and I always felt Gary Carter should have won it. I know Knight had the home run in game seven and a hit in the game six rally, but Gary had so many important hits as well. Hit two home runs in one game, started the game six rally, hit a sack fly in game seven to tie it. Wasn't a sack fly, by the way. It was the bloop uh, that we talked about, but okay, that's fine. Uh, He also had two doubles, nine RBIs for the series. Ray had a higher average, but fewer at-bats. He also made an error, which seemed like a killer at the time. I'm fine with Ray winning it, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Should it go to a guy with good numbers and some big hits or the guy with a couple of huge hits? That's from Miller. I I think his email's Noah, but he signs it Miller. Okay. Miller or Noah. Um, it's so t- you know why it's tough to answer that? Because I'd almost have to go back to give you a really a fair answer besides looking at what we could all look at, which is the stats of what each guy did in the World Series. I'd have to watch every game again, which may not be a bad idea. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should just rewatch all of these games. I don't know if we'll have time to do that, but I think when you look at what Knight did in game seven specifically, because uh, here are the final numbers, by the way, just to have the, the record on this. Ray Knight was 9 for 23, 391 average, one home run, five RBIs. 
Gowry was eight for 29, two home runs, nine RBIs, 276 average. Ray Knight was the hero of game seven. He just was. Like, not to take anything away from Carter's bloop RBI fielder's choice to tie the game, but Ray Knight's home run was the game-winning home run. That was the end of this game. Uh, He had three hits in game seven, had a base hit in the eighth inning. That was the hit he scored on on the Orozco home run. So he had three hits in game seven. He hit the home run. His overall numbers are better, which I don't necessarily think it should be about overall numbers to your point. It should be, I watched the series. This guy was the most valuable. So I totally respect, considering everything else Gary did in the series, for Carter to arguably be the MVP. But based on game seven, the game we watched, it's tough to argue it because he got the game-winning hit, the game-winning home run leading off the seventh inning, that one game seven of the 1986 World Series. So I'm cool with Gary winning the award. The other guy to look at, though, if we're being fair here, is Sid Fernandez. Mm. Because when you look at this specific game, game seven of the World Series, and nothing matters previous to this, right? Because if you don't win game seven, what does anything else mean? Keith Hernandez was unbelievable. I mean, uh, Keith Hernandez, I'm sorry. Sid Fernandez was unbelievable because Sid had to come into this game down three, nothing in the fourth inning, get a huge out of Marty Barrett and then get six more outs. Like he was tremendous. Now, if you look at the rest of his numbers, and this isn't a case for the world series MVP as much he came out of the bullpen in game five, the game they lost four to two and pitched four scoreless innings. The problem was they didn't come back and win the game. And the other World Series game he pitched in was game two, another game they didn't win. So you would really be giving him the award based on game seven, not as much game five, because as well as he pitched in game five, they didn't win the game. So I guess you could cite the four scoreless innings, but what did it really mean? So I wouldn't say Sid should win the MVP, but absolutely honorable mention for what the hell he did in Game 7. He was a hero in Game 7 of the World Series for what he did out of the bullpen. Well, they gave him the uh, player of the game as far as on the broadcast. I mean, not that that means anything at all because it's not the MVP. But I, again, like like you said, it's almost impossible. Unless you go through and watch every single one of those games, if you take the tone of Game 7, you could argue Sid or Gary or whomever – but if you take the whole seven game series, you're gonna find the real answer. And I, I we haven't done the, I haven't done the research on that for sure. Well, I, I would say that when you look back at what turned the series around, they lost the first two games at Chase Stadium, which is incredible, right? You're down 0-2 and you're on the road. Lenny Dykstra's leadoff home run against Oil Cam Boyd in Game Three was monstrous. Gary Carter also had a big hit in that first inning, but scoring four runs in the first inning of Game Three when you're down 0-2 right off the top was monumental. Look, it was a group effort. I mean, obviously it's a team game. There's a lot of honorable mentions, but I do think they got it right overall, just based on Game Seven and looking at the other factors here. That right now it was the World Series MVP, but what a game! it's a shame to me, Pete, that it's a forgotten about game because I I think that when you look at Met history and you talk about some of the great games, most important games, this one's forgotten about. And here's the reality. It's only one of two. There's only been two game seven of the World Series that the Mets have ever played in their history. 1973, they lost it. 1986, they won it. And because of how good game six was, 
that's become the story of the World Series and not as much Game 7 when I'm not saying it's a better game than Game 6. Obviously, Game 6 is an all-timer, but this was a really good baseball game that would have made me hide under my seat if I was around fully aware of fandom and sports, especially trailing 3 nothing going into the later innings. Well, you think think about this, right? It's it's weird because you say it's sad that Game 7 isn't as highlighted. Look at 2004. The Red Sox win the World Series. But what's the only series you really think about is them being the Yankees? You know, Because when something's so crazy, the way the Mets won was special. That's up there as the best game, best World Series game of all time. So, of, of course, you're going to sit there, and, and Game 7 is never going to live up to that, even though that's the one where we actually celebrate the World Series, you know? Yeah, I, I think the – I don't know if it's the same because the result is so different, but another one that kind of feels that way is we always hear about Game 6 of the 1975 World Series. We always hear about the Carlton Fisk game. You know, this incredible 12-inning game, one of the greatest World Series games of all time, and we have that iconic image of Fisk trying to keep the ball fair, right? Well, they played Game 7, and in Game 7, the Boston Red Sox had a 3 nothing lead. Does that not sound familiar? In the sixth inning, does that not sound familiar? And the Cincinnati Reds rallied. They scored two in the sixth. They scored a run in the seventh. And they won the game in the ninth inning of game seven of the World Series. And as great as that game is, great game. I mean, they rally in the ninth. It gets overshadowed by game six by the other team winning, which is crazy to me. At least the Mets are being overshadowed by the Mets. The (laughs) Reds winning the 1975 World Series and a classic game seven is overshadowed by him losing game six as if it matters. It doesn't matter. The Reds won the World Series. So it's not a perfect example, but I've always wondered about that as a baseball fan, that Joe Morgan, who's a Hall of Famer, the late Joe Morgan, got that game-winning hit with two outs in the ninth inning of game seven of the World Series, and yet more people talk about Fisk's home run in the 12th inning. And that one's even crazier to me. No, it's, it's, listen, you take, this is why I love baseball. Anything can happen at any time. And, and every season you just see the strangest things and different things. And, and that's, that's why you love the sport. That's why you love watching because you just, it's unpredictable. And that's, it was the joke of the script of the NFL. Everything is unpredictable. You just, you just don't know. You can't predict baseball, Susan. Well, we hope you enjoyed the rewatch. Maybe it's something we'll do again another time. If you have any suggestions, of course, you can email us, thericob at gmail.com. As we creep closer to spring training coming up, we will give you a roster prediction, the opening day roster prediction for the New York Mets as we enter spring training, spring training battles, competitions. We'll also talk a little bit about radical realignment coming up in the next few Rico Bronias. We appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening to the first ever Rico Bronya Rewatch. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>